do, I have to go and tell these people. The thunderclap voice withers the pastures tended by Amos. And so I imagine that he goes up to Israel because he was in, the, in Judah. He goes up to Israel and they're having a big feast. And this to me is like, you know, some of you know that I work for the Seahawks. And so when 60,000 people are leaving the stadium, it's a huge crowd of people. And there's a place where a lot of them park or they take buses or the trains and they have to cross the railroad tracks. And so there's lights there and policemen there and they're stopping everybody. And there's probably, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of people standing there. And over on the other corner, is a man with a bullhorn and a big sign that says, repent, for the end is near. <laughs> and what do you think the people do? Well, they mock him, they, uh, they shout at him, and I sort of picture our Amos. He, he's talking to these people, and it's a huge crowd, and he's gonna tell them bad news. So he's a little smarter than our guy on the street corner, because he's gonna start with their enemies. So he starts by saying, because of the three great sins of Damascus, make that four. Okay, three is plural, four is intense. Then, I'm not putting up with her any longer. She pounded Gilead to a pulp, pounded her senseless with iron hammers and mauls. For that, I'm setting the palace of Haziel on fire. And if you knew who King Haziel was, you would all say, boo, boo. Haziel, he was a bad guy. He wasn't Jewish. He was from this place in Gaza, up here, from up in here. And he decided he wanted to be king. And so he took a cloth, this is all in 2 Kings 8, and soaked it in water and went in and smothered his king and then he became king. And then he had vicious attacks on Israel, on this area up here. And they were hearing, oh, he's gonna be pounded senseless, and he, gonna, the Lord's gonna smash his gates and banish him and everybody else, and the people will be sent back to where they came from, God's decree. Yay, everybody shouting, yay, we won, we won. Okay, but I want you to look this verse. I'm not putting up with her any longer. The NIV says, I will not relent. This verse happens eight times in our passage today. I will not relent. All right. So then, oh, they're all so excited because we all hate Haziel and he's going to be set on fire. Who's he talking about next? Oh, the three great sins of Gaza make that four. I'm not putting up with her any longer. She deported whole towns and then sold the people to Edom. So these people here took whole towns and sent them over to Edom. This was slave trade. God doesn't like it. And so for that, I'm burning down her walls and her forts. I'm gonna banish the kings. I'm gonna raise my fist against them. You do not sell people into slavery. And what's left of them will die. Yay! No more Philistines. They are the ones that went against Kings David. Goliath was a Philistine. Yay! No more Philistines. 
All right, who's next? <gasps> Tyre. For the three great sins of Tyre, make that four. I'm not putting up with her any longer. She deported whole towns to Edom. Oh my gosh, she took them all down here too. Wonder what Edom was doing with all those slaves. She deported whole towns, breaking the treaty she had with her kin. Tyre had a treaty with Israel. It was a brother treaty, and she broke it with her family. For that, I'm burning down her walls and burning up her forts. Yay, we don't have to worry about being attacked and being sold to slavery anymore. Who's next? Edom, remember? All these people selling people to Edom. They were selling people to Edom. For the three great sins of Edom, mm -mm, make that four. I'm not putting up with her any longer. Oh, she hunts down her brother to murder him. She has no pity, she has no heart. Her anger rampages day and night. Who was Edom? Edom was the descendants of Esau, Jacob's twin brother. These were all relatives and they're selling each other for the slave trade. Cruelty with no pity. And this is why I like the message, because it says her meanness never takes her time out. I like that. She's so mean, and for that, I'm burning up her forts. You honor your brothers. You honor your family. You do not hunt them down and slave, sell them into slavery. Who's next? Ammon. Second Samuel 10 sells this story. Because of the three great sins of Ammon, mm -mm, make that four, I'm not putting up with her any longer. Well, what did Ammon do? If you look at Second Samuel 10, you'll see that David, who was in Jerusalem, had a wonderful relationship with the king of Ammon. And when he died, David sent an emissary, some men, to have, you know, to give con, what do I want? The word is uh, condolences <laughs> to Ammon when his father died. But Ammon, then, he, he said, well, am I, am I going to, is he really coming here because he wants to serve condolences or because he wants to spy on us? And his advisors said to him, well, here's what you're going to do. And this is what they did. They took the men that David sent, and they shaved half their beards. And then they cut off their robes to show their buttocks and sent them on their way. Where some of you were sniggering, because a man with half a beard and his buttocks showing is sort of something that would be interesting to see. But these men were so ashamed that David let them set apart, let their beards grow up. But David was mad, and this was the beginning of all the atrocities between Ammon and the country of Israel. And they are going to be burned up because of what they have done. Burning their forts, battle, shouts, war hoops, and a tornado to finish things off. The king will be carted off to exile, the king and his princes with him. All right, now we get to Moab. Who is Moab? Moab and Ammon 
are both descendants of Lot, Abraham's nephew. You see, all these people are related. But because of the three great sins of Moab, make that four, I'm not putting up with her any longer. She violated the corpse of Edom's king and burned it to cinders. You see, God even honors the nation of Edom when someone does atrocities to her. God is not a respecter of persons. He wants justice for everyone. But these people, when they came to Edom, they didn't just kill people. They went into the graveyards and dug people up and then burned them. And this was anathema to these people. This was horrible. Moab will die in the shouting and go out in the blare of war trumpets. I will remove the king from the center and kill the princes with him. God's decree. All right. Uh-oh. Now we're getting a little closer to home. Judah. Ah, but still. Those of us at the festival, we're glad to hear that Judah's going to get it too because he hasn't gotten to us yet. Right? So for the three great sins of Judah, make that four. I'm not putting up with them any longer. They rejected God's revelation, refused to keep my commands. They swallowed up the same old lies. Now this is all about turning against the commandments that God gave them. And that's why God's heart is breaking over Judah. And he says, because you did that, I'm going to burn down all the forts of Jerusalem. And they have not only turned their backs on him, but they turned their backs on the law and wouldn't live by it. In 2 Kings 25, it says, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the rest of the houses of Jerusalem. Every important building he burned down. He broke down the walls and carried the people into exile. So this prophecy about Jerusalem will come true. But now, for the three great sins of Israel, make that four, and now they're getting uncomfortable. What's being, and he was going to say about us. Well, we're wealthy. He can't say anything about us. But he is. For three great sins, make that four. I'm not putting up with them any longer. They buy and sell people. They buy upstanding people, good people, and sell them. People, for them, are only things. Ways to make money. And I like that when Eugene Peterson says, they sell their own grandmother. They grind the penniless into the dirt and shove the luckless into the ditch. Israel was politically secure and smug, and prosperity had increased their religious and moral corruption. And Amos here condemns all who make themselves powerful or rich at the expense of others. If you don't want to hear about this, don't read the paper or watch the news. It's happening here every single day. And the worst of it was that they had, again, taken the brotherhood promise and broken it. And when they sold the righteous into slavery. What does the Bible say about slavery? Well, these verses tell us, us that Hebrews could be sold into slavery 
but only if he agreed to it. And then God always made a way and a time for them to get out of it. But for those who had need for food to be sold was even worse. To them, people are only things. It was the attitude of the wealthy to the poor that they had no rights. They were poverty-stricken through cruel circumstances. And they were helpless without a champion. So what does the Lord say to us about caring for the poor? Um, I have, when I was studying this, I had a wonderful time. I went to the, each member of my family and I'd say, can you tell me a time when <clears throat> maybe you had to stand up to somebody where someone else was being abused and um, someone who didn't have a voice? And my new grandson, my granddaughter, talked about a time when he was, um, he, he works for a doctor and takes notes about what the doctor's saying. Can't remember what they call that, but anyway. So he went with this doctor, and and as he's taking these notes for this doctor, he's thinking this doctor isn't really listening to this person, and kept saying something that was totally opposite, and and he could just see this person start to wither and wither and wither because she realized that the doctor wasn't hearing her, and then they had a meeting with the caseworker, and the caseworker had listened to the person, and so my new grandson got to validate what the caseworker said to try to give this patient a voice. And I was so proud of him for doing that. And Psalm 82, 3 and 4 is what I texted him afterwards. Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. That's what the Lord tells us to do. And then in another psalm, he says, because you do this, I'll do this for you when it's your turn. And here we come to a very puzzling verse. Father and son use the same girl, and so profane my holy name. The message says, father and son sleep with a sacred whore, a sacrilege against my holy name. Now this is the worst, because this is a father and the son in agreement about the sin that they are going to commit. And whether or not it was um, a sacred whore or a slave girl or anything, it's the fact that the father and the son went together and did this crime against a person with the image of God imprinted on their soul. And God does not allow that. Uh, you lie down on garments. I'm running out of time, so I'm just going to get to the end here. In contrast, I was always at your side. I destroyed. I destroyed. I destroyed. I'm the one. I delivered. I raised up. God's decree. This is everything that God had done for them, and they had ignored him. And God is saying, you are my brothers. I have always taken care of you. You were helpless. Three times he destroyed people who were coming against them. Three times, look at who I am and what I have done for you. And I delivered you from the most powerful nation, the most powerful empire on earth, Egypt. Can I not take care of you? 
you uh, made the youth and training break training. You told the young prophets don't prophesy. So he has, you have contempt for the young. And you try to silence the prophets. He says, you're too much for me. I'm hard pressed to the breaking point. I'm like a wagon piled high, overloaded, creaking, and groaning. This is what Amos, his name meant, load, burden. He felt this load, this burden. And I know that each of you who have people in your lives that don't love Jesus the way you do, you feel this burden, this load. And this is the burden that Amos was carrying. And this is the burden that Jesus carried. We carry this and cry out to him for those that we love. And our last verse from chapter 2, when I go into action, what will I do? There's no place that you can run. The strong won't count. Fighters won't make it. Archers won't make it. Fast runners won't make it. Chariot drivers won't make it. The bravest of your warriors won't make it. He'll run for dear life. Stripped naked. God's decree. And that's our last verse for today. And this verse tells us that you can run, but you cannot hide. Your sin will find you out. So, what does Amos 1 and 2 tell us about God's heart? That he loved the unloved. That he loves the underdog. He loves all those created in his image. It doesn't matter what nation you're from. You are created in God's image. He, um, injustice to those he loves makes him angry. Aren't you glad that when injustice is done to those you love, that there's somebody that that makes angry and it's the God of the universe? No mercy to those he loves make him, makes him angry. Privilege without humility makes him angry. But we're going to get to Amos 9 that tells us that God's heart is to bring us blessing. Justice, mercy, and humility will always bring his blessing. Justice begins with us. To love justice, act mercifully, and to walk humbly with your God begins in the smallest place, our hearts. And our hearts have to be sensitive to the injustices, the lack of mercy that we ourselves show to each other and to our own selves. We must judge our own injustice. And the Apostle John picks this up in 1 John 1. In essence, the message we heard from Christ and are passing on to you is that God is light. He is justice, pure light. There's not a trace of darkness in him. If we claim that we experience that life, that shared life with him, and continue to stumble around in darkness, we're obviously lying through our teeth and we're not living what we claim. But if we walk in God's light with humility, God himself being the light, we experience the shared life not only with God, but with each other. As the sacrificed blood of Jesus, God's Son, purges us from all sin, nothing happens 
about justice unless we understand Jesus and his death on the cross for our sins. It purges us for our sins. And it goes on to say, if we claim that we are free of sin, we are only fooling ourselves. A claim like that is nonsense. On the other hand, if we admit our sins, that small act of justice that happens in our own hearts, and make a clean breast of them, telling God about them. You don't even have to tell anybody else, just tell God. He won't let us down, he's true to himself. He'll forgive us and purge us, he'll take it away. And then he says, if you claim you haven't sinned, and I had a father-in-law who said he never sinned, so I know that people do that, we out and out contradict God. Now, I didn't go and tell my father-in-law, well, you're out and out contradicting God. But anyway, but if you say you haven't sinned, you're making a liar out of God. You're turning your back on him like those people that Amos spoke to. They turned their backs on God. A claim like that only shows off our ignorance. So the first act of justice, in order to be just to other people, we have to judge our own sin. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and be aware of any injustice or opportunities that we have to show mercy and humbly walk with God. Amen.